Welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. We are on the other side <laughs> of the NFL draft, a few pounds heavier after three days of, you know, free food from the Detroit Lions. Uh, Lions also welcomed an eight-man draft class, Ben, and we're going to get into winners and losers from the Lions draft class here today. But I'm just, I'm, I guess before we get rolling, Ben, like just what's like your overall vibe, your overall feeling about what the Lions did this weekend? It was a roller coaster ride. It really was. I was feeling weird like the rest of the world after day one, just through the sheer surprise of both of the picks, both of the directions, the positions addressed. But then after day two, I felt pretty safe in thinking Brad Holmes is still Brad Holmes. He's just a guy that trusts his gut, trusts his board, because then you see two of the best value picks right after the two most questionable picks in the draft. And I think that's just going to be the kind of story of this regime. But my goodness, it was a... That, that night one, that was my first in-person draft, and that, that was kind of a fun experience. By day three, I was ready to go home, but it was a kind of a fun new experience for me, but uh, definitely felt the roller coaster ride like everybody else. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because obviously the story coming out of night one was about positional value, and we're going to get into that. Um, heard that phrase too many times, man. Yeah, as I wrote my analysis, I don't want to be the millionth person to hit people in the face with that debate, but it's kind of a debate you can't get away from. Mm -hmm. I think it's at the crux of whether you like or don't like the line draft, particularly at night one. I did think it was interesting after Brad Holmes took some bullets after night one that after day two, they had a five man draft class at that point. Mm -hmm. That if you rearranged the names in a different order, <laughs> people would have loved it. You yeah. know, uh, Brian Branch, Jameer Gibbs, Hendon Hooker. I mean, those guys were all whispered at some point in round one or very early round two for Detroit. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, the, this debate playing out around value on day two is is interesting to me and you even brought it up right there because i you know i, I think there's tremendous um potential for value there particularly with brian branch but the conversation i see playing out really hits at a, a pet peeve of mine when it comes to the draft which is people basing their opinions about what teams do as they compare to their own expectations yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than what kind of players did you get? How are they going to integrate into the offense, the defense, or even the special teams? Cultural fits, like, um, did you hit needs? Uh, did you maximize your, your draft potential? Which I think Brett Holmes, for example, did a great job of. He termed five top 81 picks, which was a league high, into five top 68 picks with a bunch of trades. Yeah. And that's, that's making the most of your draft material. And I think that's where Brad Holmes really did well in this draft. I think there's a valid debate to be had about, you know, the, the positional, um, you know, uh, value of the, of the picks he made on day one. And we're going to get into that uh, in a moment, but this, like, did they get good value? Like, I mean, maybe Brian branch is a good value, but there's 31 other teams that also passed on him in the first round, which makes me think he wasn't a first round prospect. Like we all thought outside of the teams. And so, you know, I, like, I do think they got some good value here and there. I think Branch is a good example, but like, is Hendon Hooker a good value in day three? I, I, I mean, we have to see how it plays out. I, just because we thought it yeah. maybe round one or round two, it doesn't mean he's value in round three. Exactly. And that's the kind of part where dudes on our level or dudes above our level get lost in thinking that our big boards are the big boards that we use as like teams' big boards. Like, yeah. 
And Ty Schalter had one of my favorite tweets after the first five picks went in. A complete draft of guys that could have gone at pick 18. It's like, <laughs> you know what? That's a really good freaking way to put it. Like, seriously, like even when looking at our boards and stuff like that, like that rings true. And that's where the conversation of value comes through. But absolutely, for sure. I mean, Hendon Hooker fell to pick 68. Brian Branch fell to pick 45. That happens for a reason. And just because a bunch of dudes like us had those guys mocked at pick 18 or higher or earlier or on day one period doesn't mean that that's how teams were going to view them. And that's what we saw here. So I definitely get what you're saying at, but man, that was just, it's just so fascinating. Tell yourself that the lions are going to take RB two at pick 12 and pro football focus is still going to give their draft a B plus. Yeah. Like that's. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let, let's dive into winners and losers. I think we're going to yeah. pull at some of these strings that, that we want to, um, get at it was an interesting draft for sure you know after seeing brad holmes go chalk i would say in his first two drafts and hitting home runs in round one finding some great steals on day three we all thought going into draft three that he was going to follow that same blueprint i certainly did um with two of the top 18 picks uh and really accelerate this rebuild into a season where we all think they're going to be capable of winning and he went off script and it's been kind of interesting to see the fallout. Uh, we'll get into it here. So let's, let's start with the winners because you know, glass half full, right? Yeah. Um, so my first winner, Ben, and we're gonna do, we'll, we'll do five winners, five losers between us, 10 total. Uh, my first winner, I think Jared Goff was um, a big winner in this draft. Yeah. Um, they, they could have taken a quarterback at six Three of those guys were already gone by that point, um, or was it four? I I don't know. It's been a it's been a long week. But the, all the top yeah, guys besides yeah. Levis was <laughs> were, were gone. Uh, yeah, three three guys, and then minutes. yeah yeah yeah. Uh, so Will Levis was among the top quarterback uh, prospects was the only guy left. Of course, we saw him fall to thirty three. Um, so clearly, teams didn't value him or think of him as highly as um, analysts did. Lions were obviously good to pass there. He also passed in Hennon Hooker in the second round, traded back a couple of times, and then landed Hennon Hooker, uh, Hooker in the third round, which I think is a really interesting lottery ticket because he has that dual threat ability. He was a Heisman front runner until he blew out his knee last year. Um, you know, character wise, IQ wise, I think, you know, there's a lot to like about that pick. Um, so I think there's potential there as a round three quarterback to eventually become a QB one in the league, which is good value, particularly when you're getting four guys ahead of him that are potential starters eventually, at least by the end of year two. Um, Jameer Gibbs uh, is going to start right away. Jack Campbell is going to start right away. I think by the end of year one, Sam Laporta is going to be the starting tight end. I just, I'm not ready to put him there day one because that's a tough position to start at right away. And they like Brock Wright a lot, um, but he'll be starting by, I think, by the end of his rookie year. That's, that's three year one starters eventually. And then you've got Brian Branch as well. Um, uh, so I think that's a great spot after that, 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 the, the, mm. that foursome to take a lottery ticket. You've already got so many guys who are going to help your roster on both sides of the ball. Um, and if he doesn't work out, you still have the sort of skilled quarterback uh, in the backup position that you haven't had in Detroit in forever. And you can continue to build around Jared Goff and this reports already from Brad Holmes himself, that contract negotiations are underway. And that's like the least surprising news ever yeah, been yeah. because Ed and hookers probably be between the ACL and the information gap. He's got to fill coming out of that funky uh, offense at Tennessee. Like he's not going to play in 2023. 
which means he's not going to be the starter going into 2024, no matter what. And by the start of 2024, that's a contract year for Jared Goff. Um, he's probably going to need a new deal by then. So, you know, that that pick to me was always kind of an implicit endorsement of Jared Goff. Um, the fact they didn't take one earlier, the fact they took Hooker in round three, even though I like the value of the pick and what they're doing with the lottery ticket there, it's still an endorsement of Jared Goff as QB1 beyond 2023. Um, and and so Goff um, came out of this a big winner for me. Yeah, same here. Absolutely same here. I mean, a third round quarterback pick, he's not going to feel the fire from that. He's not going to feel the pressure from that. There aren't going to be as, me- as much as people might try to conjure a conversation in that department. There's no quarterback competition for the next two years or as long as like golf is here, I feel like. But Hooker, the value at 68, the pressure that doesn't go on to play him right away, the pressure that kind of he's going to get to like a rehab year. Like Holmes is really like I love how he has the day one mantra. Don't draft hurt guys. But he's really kind of warmed up to these red shirt guys. It really seems like here. And I think that's just, you know, we're talking quarterback. We're talking the most premium position in the league. We're talking the most one of the most volatile positions in the league. Maybe Hooker something. Maybe he's a trade chip. Worst case scenario, it's an upgrade at your backup quarterback spot on a super friendly deal with a guy that you haven't had given your defense different looks and practices. So, yeah, I dig it. And and they in, in the trade back from pick six where they could have taken a quarterback or even moved up for a quarterback, as the case may be, by trading back from six to 12, they added – the best pass catching running back in the draft in Jameer Gibbs. And then they picked up pick 34, which they used on a pass catching tight end who literally caught more passes than anyone in the history of Iowa football. Uh, TJ Hawkinson played at, at you know Iowa football. So that not only did they pass over, go, you know, pick a quarterback to replace Goff um, that high in the draft. And not only did they take a guy in, in round three, who's obviously a, a backup for the foreseeable, but they also used in a draft where we all thought they were going to prioritize the defense. Mm-hmm. They used two of their first three picks to add pass catchers uh, at non-receiving positions to really, I think, unlock the best of Jared Goff. And I think that to me is the big key because if you're going to roll with Jared Goff, which with what they did in this draft, they are, Mm -hmm. you have to support him. We've seen that. We've seen him play really well in the NFL. We've seen him go to a Super Bowl and he played uh, at a Pro Bowl level last year in Detroit. But we've also seen what happens when he's not surrounded, you know, with the infrastructure for success. And we've seen it in Detroit too. Um, You know, last year when there's a bunch of injuries at receiver, Amon Ra was banged up. Josh Reynolds was banged up. Jared Goff played like ass Mm -hmm. for a couple of weeks. I mean, do you remember, I mean, you remember New England, right? Oh yeah. We're not like, like blacking out on what happened in, in Foxborough. <laughs> uh, that's what happens uh, with Jared Goff, a, a quarterback mm-hmm. who I think is is capable of playing at a high level, but does not have an elite skill set. So if you're going to build this thing around him for the long haul, which it again, seems like it is surround him with the kind of guys that can. And they did that with Jimmy Gibbs, a guy who's being compared to Alvin Kamara, who was extremely fast, 23 miles per hour at, at Alabama. Very similar to a guy named Jamison Williams, who's caught one pass in the NFL so far. But those two guys on the on the field at the same time with a pass catching tight end that they now have in Laporta, Amon Ross, St. Brown, like all these other guys, then you're staying ahead of the curve. You're 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 you're, you're I think you're really beating off um the the, the possibility of regression. Um, and I thought that was something Brad Holmes said, in, you know, after the draft that was interesting to me, Ben, was that, you know, we all expected defense, defense, defense in this draft because it was so bad. And it was, mm-hmm. 
but you also have to mind the rest of the NFL catching up to what you're doing with your strength. You have to keep your strength ahead of the NFL. And that's, that's what they did, they did with this pick. Yeah. Um, let's get to a winner for you. Who yeah. You I've got the linebacker situation because while Jack Campbell might've shocked the world at pick 18, I mean, he was the circle slash number one name on my list. If they were going to go early Brown backer in round two there. I mean, they just don't make him like this guy. Like he's six, five, two fifty. He runs like a gazelle and leaps like this dude. Like, if you look at his RAS sheet, there's no way you're guessing that he played at Iowa within your first 35 guesses at what school he went to. I mean, I think he's going to be even talking as a rookie, like he's got the potential to be their best coverage linebacker on day one. Like you can love Malcolm Rodriguez and you can love the idea of Derek Brown, Derek Barnes, excuse me. But when you look at Jack Campbell, his skill set, his size, his speed, that pairs very well with the brain and the experience of Alex Anzalone in the middle of that defense, because Campbell can do things. At least it looks like he's going to be able to do things that these other guys can't when it comes to covering a tight end or covering even a receiver or running back out of that backfield, just based on what we've seen from him. I mean, I fully expect this guy to be one of the most productive rookie defenders in the league, just based on the playing time that I think he's going to get. And I think that room found a way to get better. You know, I, I do believe in those positional value arguments in the draft, but like when I look at a guy like that, I see how he helps this team in year one. And I do see a ceiling for this guy. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Ben. I think the positional value, and we're going to get to it. I keep hate, I hate people alluding to it. We're, uh, spoiler alert: it's going to be a loser. <laughs> um, but, but like, what, I agree with you that they got better at linebacker. The problem for me is that every pick you make, like, like this is a finite resource league. Like, there's a salary cap. Everyone gets the same amount of dollars to spend. Everyone um, has a certain number of draft picks and obviously you can move up and down and uh, whatnot, but um, everyone has a finite amount of resources, which means it's not only a matter of getting the best players possible, but doing so that maximizes value on the whole as well. So while I completely agree with you that Jackbox, <laughs> Jackbox, <laughs> Jack Campbell checks every box, um, <laughs> It's been a long week. <laughs> um, he checks every box. He's big. He's fast. His RAS is through the roof. As you said, he's a unique unicorn kind of linebacker. He's six, five. I don't have his weight in front of me, um, but he's, he's a big dude, but he runs like a really like, like, like a coverage linebacker. He's, he's unique in that way. And just talking to him, like this guy is a no nonsense, all football, uh, no social media yeah. kind of <laughs> dude that you can see like you can understand why they made this pick and where they made it as a guy who's not just a linebacker as Brad Holmes said after the draft but a foundational cornerstone piece that you build a defense around he's he's going to make every other player better on the defense in the long term uh, we talked to Kirk, Kirk you know Kirk Ferentz his coach at yeah. Iowa um during awesome. the middle of the draft apparently yeah. Ferentz had nothing else to do besides get on a call with <laughs> a handful of Lions beat fighters <laughs> Um, get a get a life, Kirk. Um, and brought his A game. Yeah, no, he, yeah. he was great. And he had said, you know, he was he was briefly with the Ravens a million years ago, and he was there when they brought in Ray Lewis. And he compared Jack Campbell to Ray Lewis, not so much in the skill set, but in that you're by bringing a guy like that into the fold, you're it's a he's a foundational piece that that, that he's you're not going to let him leave the building for ten years. Yeah. And if Jack Campbell becomes all of that then he's worth the 18th pick. Um, but 
setting that as the bar for success, like regular, <laughs> is extraordinary. Um, and if he comes short of that as an off-ball stand-up linebacker, you're going to have a hard time finding value over the higher money positions where, you know, like you can go find an off-ball linebacker on the cheap. Same thing with running back. We're going to get all this stuff in a second, but that, I guess that's the concern with me for Jack Campbell. But he, like, the, you say the winner is a linebacker room. I completely agree with you. Like the linebackers have been a problem in Detroit going back basically to the, to the DeAndre Levy era, yeah. like basically a decade ago. And he was a really good player all over the field, Levy was. And those are some of the best defenses in the modern history of the franchise. And I think Campbell has the potential to have that kind of uh, domino effect on the defense where he's making everyone better, even if maybe I didn't quite right. fully embrace the pick. No, I get that too. I get that too. I get that too. Uh, I know the winner for me, Ben Johnson, and, and and going back to the offense, and this dovetails into a lot of the golf stuff. But you know, this was a, a, a draft where everyone was expecting defense, and you know, you just had to pop in the tape from last yeah. year. Um, may God have mercy on your soul. Um, and 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 you'll you know get that reminder of why, right? Like it, the defense was terrible; it was the worst in the league uh, against the pass. It was like trending toward like the worst ever until some midseason benchings and firings and so forth. So yeah, we thought they were going to go defense and then Jameer Gibbs out of the gate after a trade back um, and you pick up the 34th uh, overall pick, which then is spent on, on Sam Laporta tight end two in the whole draft. Um, it, it was a good draft for Ben Johnson because like, look what they did last year with a pretty good cast, although after only two off seasons, it wasn't really fully formed yet. Mm-hmm. But Ben Johnson has really shown, I think, two strengths. I mean, many strengths, but two things really stand out to me. One is his sequential play calling. I love how he, it's not just this play and then a different play and then a different play. Like, he'll call one play to set up another play, whether it's the next one or the next series or the yeah. second half. Um, and we've seen that repeatedly and I think it's a big strength for him. Another thing is, you know, this offense is really built around, um, maximizing versatile skill players in space. I mean, I, I think the biggest strength is the offensive line. It starts there, but with a quarterback who has time because of that offensive line, what they want to do with the football is get it into space to versatile playmakers. Great example is Amon Ross St. Brown. It, everyone loves St. Brown. It's, it's, he's been so good, Ben. Yeah. It's easy to forget that the first half of his rookie year was pretty average. Like he was starting, he was fine, he wasn't bad. But there's a couple games where he caught like one pass and just wasn't really involved uh, in the game plan. Um, yeah, he was involved like you'd expect from a fourth round rookie pick. Yeah. And then Ben Johnson takes over the passing game in the second half of that season, and it's a terror that we've never seen before from a rookie receiver in the NFL, the eight catches, blah, blah, blah. Like the, the, the streaks he put together. I mean, he ended the season with more catches for more yards than any Lions rookie ever. Um, and it was then then that they began using him as something more than a slot receiver. He was lining up in the backfield. Yeah. I think he took a snap at quarterback. Yeah, yeah. He was, I think he took a snap at tight end. If I'm remembering correctly, like, and of course, we saw that really unfold in a huge way last year. I mean, he, the, the, this offense at its best flowed through him in the passing game, uh, and he was um, uh, terrific. And so now in this draft, Ben, they could have gone defense, and instead they they draft Jameer Gibbs, who is the best 
pass catching running back in this draft. Like he's a good running back. Mm-hmm. He led Alabama in rushing uh, in his first season there after transferring last year. Um, but what makes him special and really stand out and under consideration for a first round pick and turns out 12th overall uh, was the special skill set he brings as a pass catcher um, led Alabama and catches last year out of the backfield um, and only dropped one of the 52 balls thrown his way. Um, I mean, you can understand the possibilities with a guy like that who can line up in the backfield. He can line up in the slot, even split out um, on the same field as, as um, Amon Rice and Brown on the same field as Jamison Williams mm-hmm. to I mean, massively speed guys, uh, the, like the possibilities are endless. And then you put Sam Laporta uh, in a tight end, a guy who like, I mean, maybe he can do some things in the blocking game, but he, what he really does well is catch the football. And he does it out of the slot, split out wide uh, at wing. Like uh, he took a, a snap as a wildcat quarterback in the bowl game yeah. as a tight end. Uh, it's like, Ben Johnson, like creativity is what he does. Talk to anyone. And they said this guy's a genius when it comes to creativity with the play calling and the and the usage of skill players in space. And this draft reflects what they have in Ben Johnson. Absolutely. And it's why I love the Sam Laporta pick for Detroit specifically so much. I thought Detroit was such an ideal landing spot for him. He's not going to be a traditional tight end off the bat. Like that blocking stuff's going to take a minute for him. Even in Iowa's offense, Sam Laporta led all tight ends in FBS last year and snaps out wide. Like we've been talking about for a couple months, like a big slot option, like they thought they had in Hawkinson for this offense is going to just give them another layer. Jameer Gibbs, like you said, 44 catches last year, second most by a running back in Alabama history. Like, 450 yards like he's not just catching swing passes out of the backfield he's running routes like he's lining up in the slot like what this draft did was it just gave them better fits for what they want to do more layers and flavors to their offense because Sam Laporta and Jared Goff you know who likes to throw himself a good crosser to an athletic guy over the middle Jared Goff Jared Goff excuse me and that's exactly what Laporta is going to do just because he's got such a unique size and speed skill set like I said he's not going to be the traditional tight end out of the gate and that's why I agree with you that I think Brock is going to eat a lot of those traditional snaps and still kind of be the traditional tight end one to get the year started but it's really easy to see Ben Johnson unlocking something with Laporta in the red zone. Ben Johnson unlocking something with Monty and Gibbs, maybe the more two running back sets this year, because there's some really versatile, versatile receiving options on this team, even through the six games with Jamison suspended. And those two picks, you know, you're going to be missing a lot of speed the first half of the season. You've just put two, two new speed pieces into that offense that really kind of make up for that. And you can trust Ben Johnson to kind of figure it out. Who's next winner, Ben? My next winners, the returning pass rushers, you know, uh, they didn't draft any pass rushers, no edge defenders. Charles Harris and Romeo Quara restructure those deals to come back on pretty friendly team deals a couple of years removed from very strong seasons. And it's easy to see them having a role. You know, I, I kind of thought that if they drafted an edge rusher, even if it was third or fifth round, that maybe one of those guys could be an odd man out or a cap casualty or something down the line. But like, those guys feel safe. Julian O'Quarra is going to be coming back. He's going to get a chance. So it's like anybody coming back to the edge defender room. And like we were on the other side of the argument for a month, like mocking Tyree Wilson, Miles Murphy, and other edge guys to that room for the last couple of months thinking they just need one more piece. They need one more piece. They're one piece away from being like very good to potentially great. But now those guys get another chance. You know, maybe it's Brad Holmes trust in his guys. Maybe it's just how the board felt. But I, I see – an opportunity for some of those guys that I didn't think an opportunity would be there for here. Yeah. I still like, I, I still think they should have taken Tyree Wilson um, uh, at the, at, at six. Um, 
I, I do wonder if the the foot injury he was going through um, was a red flag for them because uh, he's a premium prospect yeah. at a premium position. And, and for as much as I like Jameer Gibbs and can see how he could fit into the offense – you know, you can go, you can go get a running back. I mean, you can, you can sign Jamal Williams for two years and 6 million and he can be mm-hmm. like, he can lead the best running game in the <laughs> history. You know, it's since Barry, since the Barry years, um, um, you know, and I, you, you can't do that edge, edge rusher. Like, like who, who is the best edge rusher in free agency? I, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's a couple of good ones, but you're going to pay a hundred million dollars yeah, exactly. or whatever. Yeah. If you, if those guys even hit the market, and that's why that's a premium position. And those, those guys are taken so highly. And I think adding Tyree Wilson to that room, what they already have obviously going on, which was very optimistic down the stretch last year, but it given you depth that you haven't had in forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those, I mean, Romeo Aquara, Charles Harris, they get a new lease on life in Detroit. Um, but I would have had, I would take Tyree Wilson any day over those guys. And you improve a, a critical, probably the most critical position besides uh, quarterback and offensive tackle. Um, last winner before we get to the losers. Um, uh, I, I thought Jonah Jackson was a winner in this draft. Um, I think, you know, we all thought there was the potential that they were going to take an early round offensive lineman, yeah. perhaps even in the first round. I know I had Osiris Torrance, uh, mocked him in, in my, in my first mock draft at 18, um, because, and Jordan Jackson's a really good player. The Lions have a really good starting five. Everyone's back this year. They also signed Graham Glasgow as a basically a sixth uh, starter. There's good depth there. I mean, the Lions might have the deepest offensive yeah. line in the league. Um, they were so good last year, even without playing a, a snap intact with their starting five. So there's a lot of things to like in the immediate, um, but they had and right now have <laughs> – uh, zero guards signed beyond 2023. And with how well Jonah Jackson has played, it's going to take a lot of money to re-sign him. And I, I thought maybe the Lions would invest an early resource uh, in drafting a potential replacement so they they wouldn't have to pay him seven, eight, nine million million a year per, per year um, to bring back Jonah Jackson. They did not do that. They ended up going with Kobe Sarsdale as their only uh, offensive lineman. He was at pick 152 uh, in round five. And, you know, there's some people around the game who think he could be a potential diamond in the rough. And and maybe that's true. He was a five-year starter at William & Mary, played right tackle. Um, He's coming into a situation where he doesn't doesn't have to play right away so he can develop for a year and then see what's what he could play guard. Um, but a fifth round pick who's moving from right tackle to guard out of William and Mary is probably not going to replace your top um, guard in Jota Jackson, no matter what happens. And so, you know, we'll see what happens, but I think the way this draft went makes it more likely Jonah Jackson gets uh, paid <laughs> in yeah. Detroit. I think so too. And I'm not going to pretend to have the full on scouting report on Colby, the <laughs> Colby Sarsail out of William and Mary. But like, like you said, a couple of people I do respect Duke Manyweather mm-hmm. called him potentially the steal of the draft. And uh, I think it was Brian Baldinger, NFL network, former NFL or was like good prospect here. I mean, obviously a right tackle moving inside, there's going to be a learning curve there. The competition jump, going to be a learning curve there. So I fully agree with you. It definitely seems like Jonah Jackson's getting paid and it, seems even more likely that it's going to be around these parts. And I think that's probably music to a lot of people's ears. 
there's only 53 players on any roster. So when you have an eight man class coming in, you're going to have guys going out. And when you have winners, you're going to have losers. So let's get to that end of the, of the um, conversation, Ben, uh, what's your, you know, who's your biggest loser in this draft? <laughs> Every mock draft ever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like even the accurate ones are still wrong. Like Devin Witherspoon at five, not many people on the face of the earth had that one. Jameer Gibbs sniff in the top 20. Not many people on that one. Same for Campbell. I, I, it's just, it's just a stark reminder that even the most tuned in people this time of year are still going to be 50 to 75% wrong, according to those things. <laughs> so it's just really, really important to remember here. We are not general managers. I do not have Brad Holmes's ear available to me 24 <laughs> seven. Uh, so it's just a stark reminder that we're doing our best on those things. Everybody's doing their best on those things. Well, I can't speak for everybody. We try to do our best on things without making conversations up, but uh, every mock draft ever is my top loser. Well, my mock drafts are my loser every year. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> to be fair, I hate doing them. I hate people who take them too seriously. I think they can be a useful exercise, but people put way too much into them. And you even see it play out after the draft, which yeah. we're seeing. Like, I, I hate draft grades. <laughs> and there's some good ones out there, some good analysts who are, are thinking about it in the appropriate lens. But so many draft grades, 99% of them, it's basically just comparing what did a team do compared to what I expected them to do and how much do I understand already what they're doing even before these guys have practiced a single rep. And it's lunacy. That doesn't that 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 <laughs> that offers no context on how well or in if the case may be not well a, a team did in the draft. Um so we did our best to look at what the lines have in terms of needs and what they like in terms of culture mm -hmm. and did our best. And so did I, uh, <laughs> did I nail the lines, uh, in my, any of my mock drafts? No, I did not. But like, I think what, for example, one thing that was useful in my mock drafts was all these people are saying they need to draft Jalen Carter. And I'm like, I don't see it because yeah. this is, this is the kind of guy that they want, not Jalen, Jalen Carter. And this is what Jalen Carter's about. Here's all the concerns about him. And here's how that lines up to what the lions want. And I nailed it. Like they didn't take Jalen Carter, who's probably the number one, number two talent For in sure. this draft. Um, they went a different uh, position. They went a different side of the ball altogether. Um, but we're just we're just doing our best. But to your point, like it, it's, this entire draft was a great reminder that no one really knows anything. Uh, <laughs> Jack Campbell at 18. I mean, like Jack Campbell at 45 would have been a big win for Detroit in terms of the mock drafts. And they got him <laughs> <laughs> way earlier. Uh, this probably doves tail dovetails into to my loser ben uh which is the nerds you know in terms of the the, the lions mock and what they did you know the and, and by the nerds I, I mean i mean that just tongue-in-cheek sure. i really respect the analytics community and right. i think that they're building a roster in a league with finite resources for every team the same amount of resources it's again not just did you take a good player did, did we get better like it's did you maximize your value? Yeah. And the argument that people make when they're like, well, Jimmy Gibbs makes the Lions passing game better. Uh, Jack Campbell makes the defense better. Like, well, I would hope so that high in the draft. Yeah, like yeah. that that itself is not the barometer for success of a pick because you have the opportunity cost as well of what player could you have had at 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 12. Like, I like Gibbs, I see what they can do. Uh, but like 
you know, he basically has to be Alvin Kamara to validate the pick. Uh, and even Al- Alvin Kamara, like he was, Alvin Kamara was a third round pick. Yeah. And I went back to that draft, Ben, <laughs> in 2017 when Kamara was a third round pick. You know who went number 12? Who was it? Deshaun Watson. Oh, of course it was. So, <laughs> yeah, that's so there's 32 teams that's out of right. 32 that yeah. today, if you're doing a redraft, you would take Deshaun Watson, you know, off your uh, considerations <laughs> uh not not standing um over over jamar gibbs over any running back mm-hmm. like a, a quarterback that skilled you would take over basically any player in the league because not only is that the most important position but it's the highest value um and that's the opportunity cost of taking jamir gibbs is you're you're passing on taking a high value prospect there wasn't really a quarterback to take there but there were pass rushers mm-hmm. interior interior pass rushers cornerbacks um offensive tackles these like higher value positions and so what the lines would say is well we took the best players for us and that's speaking culturally but also what they do schematically and it's also where they're at in their rebuild they see this year as a a, like a return to competitiveness Mm -hmm. they're obviously building around jared goff and gearing up to win as many games as possible this year and they believe jamar gibbs and jack campbell fit what they needed most on offense and in, and on defense and Sam Laporta at the top of round two um, uh, as well. And I have no doubt that those players, each of them make them better at those positions in the short term, but I just worry about the long-term opportunity cost that you gave up to go get them. And that's the positional versatility debate that everyone is having right now, because the, the, the these players can be good, but they're just not at positions mm-hmm. of value anymore. And you can go get a Jamal Williams to do, to lead your best running game in a generation for nickels compared to what you're going to have to pay Jamar Gibbs. Not even speaking of what you could have had instead of him. Exactly. And wonderful point on Gibbs to Kamara, like the expectation, what he has to be to justify that pick. Same for Jack Campbell. And we got slapped a face across the face with a reminder of linebacker positional value yesterday. The Ravens declining the fifth-year option on Patrick Queen. They took him in the first round four years ago. I think he's missed like two starts since he got drafted. He's someone who's kind of had like an upward trajectory since. And like he still isn't like, you know, maybe a deal gets done in the future, but you just kind of see the volatility, the high expectations, what you have to do to hit to kind of hammer that draft value. I see both sides of the coin for sure, but the nerds definitely took a beating in this draft. (laughs) And then, yeah. Who's yeah. your so who's your next loser? Uh, and on the my bad, <laughs> and on the next, like I said, the pass rushers were a winner. The defensive line was a loser in this trap. I, I felt like the defensive line had an opportunity to get better. And I like Broderick Martin, like PFF dubbed him a poor man's Jordan Davis. I don't know much about him. He's a massive dude, he's a nose tackle out of Western Kentucky. Seems pretty developmental to me. Seems like someone that might not help in year one, even if he was taken in the third round. I, I just feel for a team that was so bad against the run, for a team that's missed an interior pass rush, for a team that is said they want more in the trenches, they, they didn't address it. The defensive line did not get better. You know, even if Martin overplays his draft value this year, the defensive line didn't get that much better. Uh, and I, I think that could be a problem moving forward, but who knows? They're taking chances on some of these guys coming back. Maybe they got something in the works, but I, I feel like the defensive line needed to get better and it stayed stagnant. I think they could have used an edge rusher as we've talked about. Yeah. Um, and that's really difficult to do, you know, high end in free agency. That's why everyone does it in the draft. That's why those guys always sift to the top. We've had that Great argument. Flowers. That's that's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a positional value kind of argument in a different way. I mean, that's how those guys rise to the top. Um, they didn't 
take one, which they didn't have to, but I think a lot of people thought they would just because of the value of that position. And they still need to get better on that side of the ball. Uh, and they didn't, um, which is okay, but they also didn't take an interior guy on the defensive line, which is more of an immediate need. Um, could have taken Jalen Carter and didn't for all the reasons that we talked about going to the draft. And I'm, I'm proud of that analysis because there's a lot of people, even people in the media who were saying the Lions need to take Jalen Carter because he's the best player at like a position um, of value and maybe the top overall prospect. But like what that guy is about never made sense for Detroit. Um you know, just uh, uh, the obviously the accident, yeah. Ben, and all the off-field stuff, which doesn't align with how they build in Detroit, right or wrong, fair or not. But even on-field stuff, you know, the the reports of um, him not practicing hard and all these other things, and he was on the board for them at number six. They did not take him, which I understand, but they they didn't take anyone else either until Broderick Martin. And I actually penciled him into a day one uh, starting job uh, in my initial depth chart that I um, dropped on on Sunday. I always do that, you know, the day after the draft every year because I looked at the number of resources they gave up to get him right. in that trade up. It three they, picks, yeah, yeah, they burned three day three picks. And one of the really interesting things to me about this draft was going to be after taking Amon Ra. Uh, on day three uh, in 2021 and then um, and then last year grabbing obviously James Houston and Malcolm Rodriguez maybe the two best um, day three picks last year like it's Brad Holmes's track record on day three is phenomenal phenomenal um, compared to your expected value at that stage of the draft and so I was curious to see who they would get and then they burned three of their bullets to go up and get Broderick Martin. And I, like many people, had not heard of Broderick Martin uh, going into the draft. And so, I I mean, I just figured they knew something that I didn't. Um, I looked at the resources they gave up to go get him. And as much as I like Isaiah Bugs, mm-hmm. Isaiah Bugs is a, like a, a 6 out of 10 kind of player in the NFL. He's like above average. He's good in the locker room. But he's not like a guy who's really going to make a huge difference on the field usually. And so I penciled uh, Broderick Martin into a day one job over Isaiah Bugs. I've subsequently watched some of the film on Broderick Martin, and I can see the project they have on their hands. He plays for defensive tackle high, yeah. Um, and he is—he's massive. He's like uh, he's like five hundred pounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's like three hundred and forty. But he's huge. But he—he <laughs> he, he is massive. But like. No, you can you can be 500 pounds, and if you play with a high pad level, you're gonna get blown off the ball. Mm-hmm. And he needs to play lower. There's some other issues in this game, so I, I do think I'm, I'm with you. I don't think they got a meaningful day one a contributor on the defensive line, like no one on the edge and no one on the interior until Broderick Martin, who himself is gonna need some time, I think, to to learn his way. Uh, for me, Ben, big loser. I think it's pretty obvious. Malcolm Rodriguez, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they draft Jack Campbell at 18. He was the only inside linebacker taken in the entire first two rounds of the draft. There wasn't another one taken until round three. Um, and so, you know, like we've talked endlessly about positional value of the linebacker and they still took him at 18, which tells you like he's any round one pick besides quarterbacks should start right away, no matter what, basically. And when you take someone so far above where that you know his position is valued that's especially true and so jack campbell starting on day one like if he's not starting week one 
something has gone completely fucking wrong. Agreed. Like, like there's no, there, like there, there's no other way to interpret that. And they just gave Alex Anzalone $18.75 million in free agency. So he's not coming off the field either. So, and they play a, a ton of nickel uh, and that's going to continue to be true with CJ Gardner, Johnson, the full Brian branch in the full, like that's going to be the base package. Their base package is going to have two linebackers on the field neither of whom is going to be Malcolm Rodriguez, who, let's face it, was a really nice story last year. You could see how much they loved him on Hard Knocks. Uh, He was the, like, uh, uh, like the deepest draft pick the Lions have had who made the day one starting lineup on offense or defense since the 80s. That's a a feel-good story, and I thought he played really decent last year. Um, But just really decent. Like, they had major issues against the run. They couldn't defend the pass. Um, there's a million reasons for that, but Malcolm Rodriguez not being fast enough or big enough is among them. And so for as feel good as his story is, the Lions needed to get better all over the field. That's part of the like process of like becoming a better team is improving your personnel, even personnel you might like or be attached to, like the narrative or the the, the feel goodness of their story. And and I think. Malcolm Rodriguez falls into that bucket. I don't think he's going to be he'll, – he'll be your third linebacker, yeah. and he'll be a staple on every special teams imaginable. Um, and I think that's his immediate future in Detroit. I think so. I, I agree with you. I think Rodriguez, you know, he's he's going to be pretty pigeonholed into kind of like a run-stopping specialist. You know, I, I mean, as good as he was last year, he's not going to cover – he's not going to be the coverage backer you need. I don't see him as a green dot guy down the line. Like, I think he's going to be the tough-nosed grit guy that they love, like you said, that's going to grind it out on special teams and is probably going to go in there on fourth and inches, fourth and one, third and one maybe. But, no, this is – you drafted Jack Campbell to improve your pass coverage. You drafted Jack Campbell to be a starting linebacker. And I, 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 there's a role for Rodriguez. It's not going to be a starting role, like you said. The one thing that I am curious about – Derek Barnes played a lot of edge and defensive end in college. I am just kind of, as his development's gone on, I'm curious to see if he kind of gets thrown into a Julian O'Quara kind of floating role just based on his size and speed combination. That could open some more reps for Rodriguez, but I- I'm with you. I mean, it's Campbell and the Anzalone show next year. We've got one loser apiece left. Who's your your last loser coming out of this, uh, this draft? I got it. If Fatu Melifanu and Will Harris, you know, you're kind of slot one, safety nice. Good guys. Good value. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, both of those guys are going to have a hard time carving out a role, maybe even a roster spot for one of those names. I kind of expect one of those names not to be on the roster once the final rosters get set, just because, I mean, you got Brad Holmes talking about having trouble finding a role for Brian Branch in your, this next year, just based on adding CJ Gardner Johnson, a guy who's going to play slot, a guy who can be your rotational safety. Guess what? Branch is going to be behind him in that role. And that kind of puts Will Harris and if he in kind of no man's land, if he was already in no man's land, Will Harris has been better at corner than he was at safety and even better on the inside than he was on the outside. But like, he's not going to jump branch. He's not going to jump Gardner Johnson. And like, he's in a competition. I feel like with Melifonwu for like a final roster spot in that defensive backfield. And I mean, we're talking about two third round picks here and that that's yeah. one of those guys is going to be out two recent third round picks, a new contract for Harris. And one of those guys is going to be out because there's just so, so many spots on that roster. Yeah. But again, this is how it works when you're getting better. Like they're both third round picks, but like they're, they're garbage. Like Melifonwu has barely played in two years and has been garbage when he played. Well, Harris has played a lot and been mostly garbage when he played, although I think he was about a four out of 10 when he moved to 
the slot. Like he, like he was the worst safety in the NFL. He, oh, he played yeah. safety, and then he moved into uh, the slot last year. And I thought he played almost average. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so when you're trying to get better, you have to replace guys like that on your roster. And now the lines are with Gardner Johnson, who is, I mean, he's just the way he plays the game. And how well he plays it is uh, a favorite of mine, even when mm-hmm. he was back with Philly and, and the Saints. Like he's just a, a dog, like to borrow the parlance that they love talking about in Detroit. He, he's just a mean dude, and he's going to bring some edge and some tenacity, as well as some ball hawking yeah. and everything else, uh, tackling to, to Detroit. Um, and then you draft Brian Branch, who's kind of in the same mold, uh, you know, maybe not quite as tenacious. Uh, and there's some speed issues with him. I think is why maybe he fell out of the first round. But he was a really good slot guy who has the versatility yeah. uh, to play at safety. He was the number one safety prospect in this draft. They got him in, in the in the second round. Um, and that sends dudes who were struggling at the NFL level to the bench. And that's exactly what you want. Uh, my last loser, and it's the most low i mean the 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 fruit is so low hanging it's it's hitting its ass on the ground uh deandre swift uh <laughs> i mean it was it, like the writing was on the wall like his days were numbered from the second they um that roger goodell read that pick of jameer um gibbs in the first round uh turns out that number was two because on saturday day three of the draft uh he was traded to philadelphia yeah. For a fourth round pick in 2026. Um, 2026, right? Not 25. Uh, 2025. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yep. A future fourth round. There you go. (laughs) My brain, I'm I'm old now, so it's struggling to absorb all this information uh, on on low sleep. Um, But Swift, like, uh, they they have the same skill set as as pass catching running backs, except Gibbs is three years younger and like a tenth of a second faster in the 40. And he has two shoulders that are in one piece and um, has real, I mean, every running back gets nicked up and he got nicked up at Georgia Tech a little bit, but he's like, by and large, uh, healthy throughout his college career, was dynamic uh, at Alabama in space. The Lions believe he's the most dynamic, like open field player, offensive player in this draft. That's what Swift was in Detroit. And he's going to a contract year, fell out of favor with this coaching staff, just like the last one, because of his inability to not only stay healthy, but to like do the things required to stay healthy at the running back position in the NFL. There was a lot of internal frustrations with DeAndre Swift. I think we saw that play out on, on hard knocks last year. They were really coaching him hard. Uh, you know, he said some of the right things, but ultimately was banged up for much of the year, had shoulder uh, ankle issues, missed a bunch of games, was limited for even more um said he wanted to be a thousand yard guy through the air and on the ground and ended up with like a thousand yards total for the year uh it's hard to build a running game or an offense around players who are that unavailable and that untrustworthy and that's what deandre swift was and it didn't work for a staff that wants to control games on the ground and so they drafted gibbs swift's writing was on the wall and ben he's already a philadelphia eagle yeah, and in this day and age, the best avail- the best trait for a running back to have is availability, and it's just like you said. I mean, they, we we saw everything. They tried everything on this kid. The previous coaching staff was a little more laid back in their handlings of him. Deuce was in your freaking face every step of the way. Nothing worked. the 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 plans for training camp didn't work. It, it, it's just you know, two coaching staffs, different usage plans. It, it's just like you said, internal frustrations. There was just nowhere to go. And I mean, 
if you didn't think he was on the way out after the gifts pick, then Brad Holmes pretty much put it in cement writing at midnight that night. What's the status of DeAndre Swift? Well, yeah, um, he's on the roster. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one more loser in the draft are waistlines after Dude. like three nights of free food from <laughs> uh, from fried chicken to pizza to tacos. Uh, we've sat on our ass the past couple of days writing about this stuff. We're sitting on our ass right now talking about this stuff. It's been a joy, Ben, covering the draft with you. Is our first time doing it live because of a million external circumstances that have kept you kept you on a hell in part. Um, <laughs> it's a weird world we live in yeah, but no it's been uh a pleasure uh going through this cycle it kind of feels like we're kind of putting the bow on four solid months of work from you know basically january um to now you have the senior bowl the combine yeah. endless i mean we've probably written uh, hundreds of thousands <laughs> of words i i i, I would I, I would expect um it's in the rear view i think the lines have a very intriguing class um I think there's potential for it to be, you know, some really good players in there. I do fear that it's going to be really difficult for them to maximize the class they have because of some of the off the board uh, things they did in, the, in, in round one. But I, I like that. I, I, I like that Brad Holmes has his convictions because, you know, Brad Holmes knows draft value as well yeah. as anyone, positional yeah. value as well as anyone. And he didn't go those ways. He went unconventional, knowing the blowback that he would that he would get and, and the the unconventional nature of what he was doing. And I like that he in year three has the the confidence, the maturity as a GM to just stick with his convictions, knowing the headwinds that he would face. Um, I'm really curious to see how Gibbs and Campbell factor into what they're doing. Um and um We'll see. It's it's an intriguing class for sure. It was definitely an interesting draft the way it played out. No, it was. It absolutely was. And I just want the record to show that I ate two Crunchwrap Supremes between Friday and Saturday as oh, well. Uh, but uh... you're an animal. <laughs> I literally, I literally made a salad on Thursday during the day to just to stock in my fridge, uh, <laughs> knowing the trash I'd be putting my body in Allen Park, and so in between, I'd have at least something that was green to put in my body. Uh, that's that's. That's psychotic behavior. <laughs> Needed it for energy, but I'll just say this: this was definitely the most eyebrow-raising draft. But Brad Holmes is a draft junkie. When you call him a draft junkie, he acts like a twelve-year-old boy getting flirted with on the playground. So it's like he's earned some trust. So let's see what it is. They got some guys that should make him better in year one. Whether that hits four years from now remains to be seen. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. All right, let's put a bow on this. Let's get out of here. Uh, we'll be back next week with a little bit more um, uh, draft analysis. Got a got a good one on deck for you guys. Then looking even deeper into the eight man class the Lions got and diving in a little bit to the to the the prospects um, with some guys who have covered them in their college careers. So get some nice insight uh, firsthand from on the ground. Until then, Ben, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we'll see you next week. This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast, Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again.